Okay, hello and welcome to El Governor of the Podcast. I'm Abdullah, and my guest today is, introduce yourself, good sir. Hello, my name is Daniel Ross. Nice to be here, Abdullah. Uh, first question is the obvious one. How did you get started and what made you want to get into voiceover? Oh, man, that's a loaded question. Um, let's see. So I have always been uh, interested in the performing arts. I loved getting up on stage as a kid, you know, and, and working on the plays. And I studied Shakespeare. And when I finally got to college, uh, my major was in musical theater. And I dropped out of that and decided I wanted to pursue film and TV. So I did that for many years. I was a professional extra and stand in. And uh, I got some small roles in some independent films, uh, horror films in particular. And uh, through that, I met my best friend, Justin Tim Payne, who uh, we started doing uh, our own movies. We produced our own uh, trilogy of horror comedies, starting with Ninjas versus Zombies, Ninjas versus Vampires, and Ninjas versus Monsters. And uh, in a roundabout way, I, I had always been interested in voiceover, but I really didn't have a lot of opportunities. So uh, I packed up my car, drove cross country from uh, Washington, D.C. to Los Angeles. And here we are, all these years later, uh, officially a voice actor. And what do you love and hate about what you do? <laughs> well, I first and foremost, I love what I do. And in terms of uh, picking a job, uh, if you're going to pick a job, I do something that you enjoy wholeheartedly. And that is absolutely voiceover for me. Uh, things I dislike, I mean, you know, the industry can be very challenging. Um, this is this is a, a, a space where you are constantly faced with rejection, constantly faced with, you know, criticism and things of that nature. And it can be very, very difficult, not to mention the competition is fierce. Um, you know, the days of, of uh, a few select people doing pretty much all the voices in, in Hollywood are long gone because people have access to technology and can audition from just about anywhere. So talent can be accessed anywhere, and that means that uh, there is quite a lot of competition. So staying above the fray and staying educated and staying at the top of my game is, is really uh, the thrust of my work these days. And so it can be an absolute challenge, not to mention, you know, I have a life behind the scenes and, you know, trying to maintain my sanity. But I love what I do. I wouldn't I would rather be doing nothing else. And I'm so happy that I discovered my passion in voice acting and that this is what I get to do for a living. And who are some of your main inspirations? Um, well, uh, there are so many. Um you know, growing up, I, I used to watch Saturday morning cartoons. I used to be planted in front of my TV and just absorbing all the different cartoons. And I was an 80s kid. So I had things like, you know, the real Ghostbusters, uh, Smurfs, uh, Transformers, G.I. Joe, Masters of the Universe. You know, those were those were some of the, the core memories that I have. And so the people that I look up to are the people that facilitated those those core memories for me as a child. And, you know, one of the things that I really enjoy uh, being in my position is is reinforcing that for the next generation of, uh, of kids so that they have solace in their hearts and a place that's safe that they can go back to in their minds that brings them joy. And so, you know, I, I really look up to uh, a lot of people in the industry. Um, one of my best friends is Debbie Derryberry, the voice of Jimmy Neutron. Uh, she's been a staunch supporter and, and a dear friend of mine. 
uh, for many years now, David Sobolov, uh, the voice of Gorilla Grodd or The Flash and so many other things, uh, was one of the first people to encourage me uh, to get into voice acting and to take a shot here in Los Angeles. Um, so many people uh, have offered their insights and have guided me along the way. Rob Paulson is another individual. David Kay. I, I could go on and on and on. But, you know, the originals, Mel Blanc, June Foray, Clarence Ducky Nash, um, you know, the the old guard, Dawes Butler, th those were the ones that uh, I think everybody really uh, loved and inspired to get into uh, this crazy industry. Does it feel weird that that there are going to be kids growing up with you as their Donald? <laughs> yeah, that is a very strange prospect um, because when I'm doing my work, I'm here in a bubble. You know, I don't I don't see the fan reaction. I, uh, you know, the fans will either come to me and let me know that uh, they appreciate the work, but I, I'm just here doing my job. And so when I go out into the world and I, and I see the reactions from people, it, it really is astounding to me. And it's a wonderful side effect uh, of having this kind of job. Um, cartoon characters mean so much to so many. And like I was saying before, are a piece of our childhoods that we hold on to. So I really relish uh, being a custodian of that. And uh, I, I just think it's fantastic. We know, I, I feel like we take it for granted because, you know, voice acting, like, I, I hate this misconception that, oh, voice acting is easy. No, it isn't. <laughs> you know, creating a character out of nothing but your voice isn't easy. And I, and I hate that misconception. I really do. And it's something I hear all the time and it, it definitely gets under my skin too. But uh, yeah, it is not an easy profession. And uh, the core of it all is acting. It's bringing a character to life uh, with some sense of realism, whether it's a Bugs Bunny or a Donald Duck or, or you know, anything else that you see in any video games. They, they are real characters. They are full, fully embodied characters. You know how they feel. You know how they react. Uh, it's not just about doing a silly voice in front of a microphone and hoping for the best. There is a lot of training that goes into it. There's a lot of hours of, uh, um, you know, honing and perfecting your craft. Uh, there, there's so many, there's so many facets to it. And animation and video games is just one, uh, area of voiceover. There's so many other things, commercials, promos, narration, uh, uh, um, you know, audio books, political uh, commentary. I, there, there's so many different things that people can get into. Uh, it just so happens animation video games seems to be where, where I got stuck, and I love it. <laughs> does, it feel, does it feel weird being the go-to legacy guy? Because <laughs> you play a lot of legacy characters. You know, that is uh, something that I, I've only recently kind of recognized. I, I, I seem to take on a lot of characters that uh, have, uh, you know, prior history to them. That's not to say that I haven't created original characters um, or, or established a voice for a character. But yeah, that is that is something I am just honored to be allowed to do. You know, that somebody put their trust in me and said, this person is is the right person for this job. And uh, we feel that they're they're the best person to to carry the torch for whatever time that entails. Um, 
so yeah that's that's definitely an interesting aspect uh to it but uh look i, I do a lot in in voiceover and animation video games it's not all legacy characters but when i get to play in that sandbox man is it fun so how did you get involved in multiverses <laughs> um i auditioned i auditioned uh it started with uh uncle shagworthy at your service um you know a very obscure scooby-doo character that was in one episode of uh scooby-doo many many years ago i think back in the 70s and voiced by casey Kasem. uh you know who who like you know voiced shaggy in in the original iterations and uh, his voice of Uncle Shagworthy was basically Scooby, but just a little bit of a a little bit of a rasp in the voice. And so uh, when I got the audition for Uncle Shagworthy, uh, they specifically were asking for something a bit more stuffy, a bit more uh, British, uh, a bit more sophisticated. And all the dialogue had the word like in it. So immediately I'm thinking, well, what if he has the same uh, affectation that that uh, Shaggy does, where he goes like Scoob, like this, like that, and so Uncle Shagworthy is like Uncle Shagworthy at your service, capital, just capital. So that's just what stuck, and um, I got to know the team behind the scenes, and I had another audition uh, for Gizmo and Stripe. Um, uh, both of them were in the exact same audition. I was alternating between Gizmo and Stripe in the audition. And I think they were looking for one voice actor for to portray both characters. So uh, I booked that, and that was a, an absolute dream come true because I've been a huge Gremlins fan my entire life. I love Gremlins. Gizmo, bye-bye. And of course, Stripe, you know, yum, yum, Gizmo, caca. <laughs> you know, those were such fun characters. So I, I was just tickled pink to be able to, to bring them. Uh, to life and to be a part of multiverses such an amazing uh game that uh has really captured the zeitgeist i'm so happy to be a part of it i gotta say um hearing your stripe was surreal to me because i'm like i know it's not frank welker but it sounds so close that i i can't even tell the difference sometimes well i tell you and i thank you so much for that it uh it was a thing where i went back and i watched the movies for inspiration. Um, there was another game called Lego Dimensions, which had Howie Mandel as Gizmo and Frank Welker as Stripe, but it was so dialogue heavy that it almost was removed, in my opinion, from the core of the characters. Gizmo was very quiet, you know, and subtle. You know, he was very quiet. So now we're transitioning to a fighting game where everything is loud and crazy. And so there was a lot of room to, uh, you know, add things and recall things that uh, I hoped the fans would pick up on. And it was just it was just such a joy. It was just such a joy to take that on. And I got to say, I'm not someone who gets spooked easily, but I don't know if you've played the game or not. But when when Stripe gets eliminated, he lets out this horrifying scream that legitimately like scared me i'm like what was that <laughs> uh that was just hey we need a scream and it needs to sound like it's coming from that character so uh yeah we i thrashed up my throat and uh it was a good old time because <laughs> it really scared me i'm like because it's a it's a very fun game very like cartoony very wacky and then that happens and i'm like okay <laughs> 
yeah, yeah. No, that that was again. We take the core of the character and we place it in something that it's never been before. So it was uncharted territory, and we had a lot of room to play. And the team behind the scenes were just really receptive to uh, any of the suggestions that I had. If I was like, "Yeah, you know, Stripe needs to say yum yum," like at some point they were like, "Yes, we're going to get that in there," or you know. Uh, if Gizmo was singing, you know, the the song of the Mogwai, you know, like that had to be in there at some point. So uh, it was just a, a really symbiotic process. And uh, again, I'm just incredibly grateful to be a part, a small part of uh, this really fun game and this property from Warner Brothers. And does it feel weird, like hearing yourself in these projects? Oh, absolutely. So I play multiverses. Um, you know, it, it's it's education for me because I know what happened in the booth. And so to hear the final product, it always gives me ideas of like, oh, okay, we did that. And that's what it sounds like here in the future. You know, maybe I'll have some other uh, ideas or other ways that I can go about that or different sounds that I can incorporate. So it's education for me when I go in and I play these games, but I do play multiverses. And there's a free-for-all uh, that you can play with up to four characters. And uh, there has absolutely been Uncle Shagworthy, Stripe, and Gizmo uh, all together. And it's just a cacophony of my voice uh, going at it with each other. And that is just uh, hilarious. <laughs> Who's your main? Uh, Uncle Shagworthy, definitely. I, I'm still I'm still learning uh, Stripe and Gizmo. But, you know, the thing is, I just don't have a lot of time to play the video games. So, you know, if I'm going to invest that time, it's it's in my downtime. And I just I don't have a lot of it lately. So, uh, yeah, Stripe and Gizmo, uh, they, they've been a little bit on the back burner in terms of uh, mastering those characters. But if I jump in and I just want to play a game, I'll just jump in as Uncle Shagworthy because I think it's fun. Oh, man, it's so, it's so weird because whenever I ask people, like, does it feel weird hearing yourself in in stuff? They're like, yes, and then that's why I don't watch any of the stuff I'm in, because I'm very judgmental. Oh, I, I watch everything. I listen to everything, because, again, I learn from that experience. I, I have the experience of being in the booth and knowing what the decision-making process was and why we did certain sounds and things. And so to hear the finished product, I, I just I learn so much from it. So, uh, yeah, I, look, I enjoy it. I love hearing the finished product and being like, wow, that's what they did with my voice. That's so cool. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's a learning experience for me. And do you feel like, um, you know what your strengths and strengths and weaknesses are? Yes. And uh, the, yes, absolutely. Um, I, I've taken a lot of time to meditate on that and to try to figure out what it is that I do best, because let's face it, this is the entertainment uh, uh, this is, you know, showbiz, this is showbiz, it's business. And so when you're in any kind of business, you have to leverage the things that you're good at. And so, um, I, I took a lot of time to figure out where my voice kind of plays well. And it just so happens it's an animation and video games. I'm fully trained in commercials and promo and other things, but animation video games, that's what I tend to book the most. So, you know, when I was approaching my agencies, I had to be able to tell them, hey, everybody, this is how I'm going to make you money. And I had to say that with confidence. And so, you know, as a performer, I want to do anything that comes my way. I want to participate in everything. But I always tell people when I'm coaching in voiceover, uh, if you try to do everything, you may accomplish nothing. So it's really important to laser focus on what you're good at so that you can leverage that and hopefully make a living. 
So, uh, yes, I've spent a lot of time focused on my strengths and my opportunities, and uh, I, I know them inherently. I own them. And let's just settle the age-old debate. Um, Gremlins 1 or Grem- Gremlins 2? Oh, don't make me do that. Oh, oh man. That, that's not the age-old debate. The age-old debate is whether uh, Gremlins is a Christmas movie or not. And to that, I'm going to say, yes, absolutely. Gremlins, to me, is a Christmas movie. Um, but Gremlins 1, Gremlins 2, they are just so different. I have a soft spot in my heart for both of them. Uh, but I would say if there's one that I would go back and rewatch the most, probably Gremlins 2. <laughs> I I love Grem- Gremlins 2 because it's such a such a departure from the first movie. And it's intentionally a departure from the first movie because that's what... Joe Dante wanted to make a live action Looney Tunes cartoon and he did. And that's why it's so weird. And that's why you have stuff like the the movie randomly stopping. And then Hulk Hogan shows up for a cameo for no reason. It's exactly. Exactly. It's like the, the writer's room sketch from key and peel uh, that, that absolutely cracks me up, but yeah, it, it holds a soft spot in my heart, all the variety of characters and what they did with the gremlins from the vegetable gremlin to the brainy gremlin to, uh, I, I mean, you know, Mohawk and all of the others. It was just, it, it was so iconic. It was so iconic. So I have a soft spot for gremlins too, but I love me some gremlins one too. <laughs> you see what I did there? <laughs> because because the first one is very dark. Like it is not a kid's movie. I'm like, if you're going to show this to kids, like, there should be a warning that it gets really dark towards the end. Yeah, it is. It is a horror movie. Uh, and uh, I feel like it's a horror movie for kids, oddly. Um, but I was watching a documentary uh, by Kira Gardner uh, called uh, Living with Chucky. And it's about her life growing up around uh, the child's play movies and uh, uh, the character of Chucky because her father was uh, the... Um, special effects designer who helped create the animatronics and the, and the, you know, the puppets and everything like that. So, so there was, there was mention in there that uh, Gizmo and the animatronics was partly the inspiration of why they even made child's play because that technology was available. And I thought that that was really cool to hear that, you know, one thing feeds off of the other and inspires, you know, the next thing. So uh, yeah, definitely a, a, a horror movie, and I think intended as as a horror movie for kids, which uh, I don't think you see anymore these days. <laughs> because people forget um, Frank Welker played Stripe as a bad guy, and when I say yes. that, I mean he plays him as a bad guy. He is really terrifying, really creepy. There's this, like, I'll never forget that the end scene where they're at the mall, and he sees the water, and he turns around and says, water in this like demonic voice. I'm like, yeah, my goodness. No, I mean, Frank is, is one of the preeminent uh, voice actors of uh, a generation or generations. I should say uh, he is a, an astounding talent and I've had the fortune of working with him on, uh, you know, the uh, Mickey and the roadster racers, Mickey mouse mixed up adventures. Uh, he is just an astounding talent and uh, one of the nicest people you'll meet out there. Yeah, I know. It's it's so amazing because out of all the people who who would who you would think would have egos, Frank isn't one of them. 
Like he's just so humble, very, very nice, very just like happy to be here, honestly. Absolutely. I, look, all of us voice actors are so grateful and happy that we get to do what we do. So that is no surprise to, to me or to anyone else. Uh, Frank is is absolutely a sweet human being and incredibly talented and, and absolutely one of my inspirations because I grew up listening to him. And to uh, grow up myself and and have an opportunity to now work with him, uh, that just blows my mind. Does it feel weird, like, knowing that if you grew up in the 80s or 90s, there was never a cartoon where Frank Welker wasn't in? Yeah. Uh, And I believe at one point uh, he was recognized as the highest paid actor in Hollywood uh, because of all the the shows and things that he's done. Yep. (laughs) Like... I remember back in the day we would joke if if there was a sound of a door being slammed in a movie, chances are that door was voiced by Frank Walker. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, how long have you been a Transformers fan? I, ever since I was a kid. Um, you know, the movie came out in 1986. I uh, the show came out in 1984. So I was born in 1980, and that was prime time for me to get into it. And I just. I love the action figures. I love the the little puzzles, you know, that you could solve in your hand. And uh, I, I really love the lore. I love the, the show. And the movie was the very first movie I ever saw in a movie theater with my dad. He took it. He took me to see it for my birthday. And uh, it was uh, life changing. Uh, so now I, I am an adult who collects Transformers. I have a tattoo on me that's uh, Cybertronian that says Transform. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm a lifelong fan of Transformers, and to have been a part of the franchise as the voice of Starscream is just a whole other level. <laughs> What's weird is that uh, I went, while I was doing my research for this interview, you weren't in LA when you did that, right? You were in. Yeah, I, w- I was in Washington D.C. and I I grew up in Maryland and uh, I campaigned uh, to be a part of that uh, franchise. When I heard that Steven Spielberg and Michael Bay were doing a movie, I was like, I need to try to get noticed. I need to try. You know, the worst anybody can say is no, but if you try, if you don't try, you'll never know. So I I collaborated with a bunch of uh, my friends in the fandom who were artists to help me create a comic book that featured me in a story with the Transformers, uh, as well as Steven Spielberg. And I sent that to Spielberg and Michael Bay and uh, everybody that was associated with the movie, just in the hopes that I would get an audition. And uh, I did, I got an audition. And uh, at the time they weren't auditioning any Decepticons because they weren't speaking. Um, So Activision contacted me and said, hey, would you like to voice Starscream? Uh, Hound and Mixmaster, and I was like, uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, yep, I would. Um, and that was absolutely life-changing. That really uh, galvanized my love of voiceover, number one. And number two, I got to meet other voice actors and see that they were kind of like me, you know? And and it's always such an amazing thing when you when you meet your tribe, you know, and you and you discover people that are just like you and have the same quirks as you and I just, I fell in love with it then and there, and that became my goal. I want to be like them. I want to be a voice actor. So Transformers really was the key that opened it all up for me. And uh, if that hadn't happened, if I hadn't taken that shot just to see what would have happened, I don't know that I would be here. I don't know that I'd be doing this. 
that's that's a really great story because it just goes to show you sometimes hey you know if you're unsure about something you know just do it like the worst that can happen is they did they say no you know just you know put your name out there and you don't know what what's going to happen you got it and it's it's weird you mentioned that the decepticons weren't didn't have any lines so that technically means that you were technically the first person to voice movie star scream Yes. Now, Charlie Adler, who's an incredible voice actor as well, uh, was hired to do uh, the one line for Starscream in the movie, or two two lines in the in the movie. Um, but yeah, we had nothing to reference, and so when we went into the session, uh, we were basically figuring it out—a new type of Starscream and what does that sound like? And I grew up with Chris Latta, you know, Decepticons retreat. You know, he was Starscream for a reason. He would scream a lot. And uh, so when I got in, they requested a very demonic, scary voice, something specifically they said that would scare children. And so the voice that we went with was kind of like this. And I had rehearsed it and I was ready to go and I get into the booth and they said, you know, we just want a light British accent. And so I said, so you're telling me you want Starscream to sound like this? And they go, yeah, that's perfect. And I went, no, please don't fire me, but no. And they're like, okay, what do you got? And like that, Decepticons, this is Starscream. That's just what I came out with. And that's what stuck. And so when I heard, uh, you know, Charlie's rendition in the uh, movies, it was kind of in the same vein. And I was like, oh, man. A little bit, of, a little bit of FOMO, you know, like, oh man, you're missing out. I, I could have done that, but look again. Uh, you, you, these roles are not ours. We share them with whomever the companies decide are the best fit for the role. And Charlie Adler absolutely is an incredible talent, and uh, I've met him, and he and I have shared our love of Starscream, and it's it's just an amazing experience that I will never forget, and I'm so again grateful for. No, it's funny you mentioned that they wanted a deeper voice because I remember when the Revenge of the Fallen game came out and Charlie voiced Starscream, they pitched his voice lower to sound, to make it sound scarier. So I thought that was well, they funny. did that with me too for the console games. Uh, they took you know my voice was like this is Starscream. They took it down like this and made it sound like this, but they did that to everybody, including you know Keith David, who has this amazing unique voice of his own, and it's almost. Uh, you can almost not even tell it's Keith David because they put so much effects on it. For the Nintendo DS, on the other hand, they kept the integrity of our voices. They only slightly modulated it to sound robotic, but on the console games, they did everything like this. They pitched everybody down. And I, I don't, that, that decision didn't fly great with me, but that's just the way it ended up. I guess they just looked at the designs and said, well, they're alien robots, so uh, of course they'll sound deep. And I'm like, no, they shouldn't, but whatever. Yeah, no, they, they should sound like uh, unique, distinct characters, which is part of the reason I love Transformers, is because they are their own unique characters, and they have personalities and, you know, dreams and wants and desires. And so to, to uh, you know, muddle it a little bit with with the the, the voicing just kind of i guess fit the stereotype that the decepticons were monsters and i i just disagreed with that decision okay favorite, as a long time transformers fan you know favorite autobot and favorite decepticon 
Well, Starscream has to be my favorite Decepticon because, well, he'll, he'll destroy me if I disagree. <laughs> um, you know, a close close uh, favorite would probably be Soundwave. Uh, Soundwave was my very first Transformer uh, that I ever had as a kid. Um, and I think for the Autobots, man, I, I gotta go with Optimus Prime. Optimus Prime is is the hero. He's he's the the center of it all. Um, if I had to pick another one, it really depends on the series, you know, like Beast Wars is different than G1, is different than Armada, is different than Cybertron. There are so many characters in the lexicon, it, it's it's impossible to choose, but I love the combiners. Uh, Superion was my very first combiner toy, the aerial bots. Uh, Devastator was a, a close second, you know, all the Constructicons, and so. Yeah, I, I can't choose just one. I can't, can't do it. How do you feel about combiners in general? Because I know that, that some love people them. love them, some people hate them. No, I, I love them. You know, look, the execution is is uh, uh, a little shaky sometimes, uh, depending on the toy line. But I really loved Combiner Wars. Um, they, they were able to encapsulate that Scramble City uh, idea. For those who don't know, Scramble City was... Uh, a facet of Japanese Transformers where any robot could be a limb, a leg, or an arm. They could, you know, mix and match. And with Combiner Wars, it was the same thing. They all had the same port that they would connect with. So you could have all different kinds of characters creating uh, the gestalt, as, as they're called, not just Combiners. So uh, that was cool. That was, you know, added a lot of play value. But I really love the character as a whole. So when you have a really distinct looking combiner, that's not just a robot with a bunch of other robots on it, a very distinctive look, uh, kind of like what they were going for with the Legacy Motormaster. Um, you know, I dig it. I really dig it. Because I know like people just tend to not like them because again, like execution and shelf space, but it comes down to shelf space really more than anything else. Oh, absolutely. I mean, they are big. They are big. And that's kind of the point. You take a bunch of little robots and you turn it into a big robot. And that's cool. Because I saw someone complaining about, oh, I don't want any more combiners. But I'm like, but what about Monstructor? I want a Monstructor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I'm very happy to have uh, my, my Menasaur. But Monstructor, yeah, that would be that would be a cool one, too. Because he gets no love. He's just like the forgotten combiner. Like, uh, yeah, no, we're not going to do Monstructor. But why? He's amazing. Monstructor slash Dino King. <laughs> just, uh, all, yeah. all the people who don't know Transformers have completely checked out of this conversation. <laughs> They're like, what? <laughs> like, but I'm a big Transformers fan, so I can talk about it for days. No, I mean, they gave us like two Dinobot combiners and they don't, they, no, no Monstructor. Come on. Like, that's how, how is that fair? <laughs> <laughs> well, look, the the designers and the team at Hasbro, they do a really good job uh, you know, listening to the fans and I I'm sure at some point we may we may see something like a monstructor. I don't have any inside information. I'm just obviously speculating, but uh, they really do listen to the fans and we've been seeing characters like Jaxus from G2, you know, coming out in the toy lines and we have uh uh uh, uh Tarn from the comic books coming out. So I, I absolutely think it's a possibility we might get one someday. 
I mean, they they finally gave us like a decent skid, so there you go. <laughs> After all these years, so that's right, and many versions thereof. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, hey, you know, say what you will about the toy line, but they're they're making me want to buy more G one stuff, so you know it's working. <laughs> well, again, for me, it's G one and Beast Wars. Those those are the ones that that still hold my heart. Oh, so you so you weren't a big fan of the the new reveals of like Armada stuff coming out. <laughs> I mean, look, I I love those toy lines individually, but in terms of things that were a part of my childhood and a part of my development, G one is what I grew up with. So when I see G one characters, it strikes a certain part of of you know my my memory on the inside, and I reminisce about that. Um, Beast Wars, you know, revived Transformers. Uh, there was a Generation 2 thing, which was literally just, let's recolor the toys and add some accessories, and the show is just the old show, but there's a box that you watch it in. Like, it, it wasn't its own thing. It was just a rehash, but Beast Wars reinvigorated the franchise and brought it back, and that was the first time I took notice of the voice actors behind the characters. Um, you know, one of my dear friends, David Kay, is the voice of Megatron. And uh, I love the voice and I would imitate the voice. Yes, Waspinator, meet me at these coordinates. You know, Waspinator has plans. You know, and I realized, hey, there's a guy named Scott McNeil who's voicing Dinobot and Waspinator and Rat Trap. And oh my gosh. So that was the first time I took notice of the fact that there were people behind the scenes and I looked at that and went, why not me? Why not me? If they can do that, maybe I could do that. So Beast Wars, uh, as as a really cool toy line in, in and of itself, had a really awesome show. And that was the thing that triggered my desire to look into voice acting. And so here we are. Now, Beast Wars, man, that was a great cast. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Such a spectacular <laughs> cast. Hey, even my... my uh, best bud david sobolov he played depth charge in that that's how i knew him <laughs> i mean again who are you to say no to depth charge man like when when he says exactly. like you know you should look into this voiceover thing you look into this voiceover thing <laughs> you got it you got it and yeah when somebody of that caliber tells you hey i think you've got something you you listen you listen and he wasn't wrong uh, it's not an ego thing, but he wasn't wrong. Uh, I made a gamble moving out to Los Angeles, and he said I should, and he was absolutely right. So I give credit where it's due. And what was the best and worst advice you've ever gotten as an actor? Um, the best advice I was ever given uh, <laughs> was from a lady named Molly Finn who was the casting director for Warner Brothers uh, for many years. Uh, she she was casting uh, a movie called Batman Forever that I auditioned for the role of Robin in. And before I left, when, she, when I made it to the callbacks, uh, she kneeled down to me and she said, Daniel, I always want you to remember this. It's the squeaky wheel that gets the grease. And she said, I want your headshot and resume on my desk in five years. And that always stuck with me because it meant that I had to make some noise. I had to be seen. I had to to do whatever it took to to achieve the goals that I set out for myself. So creating that comic book for Transformers, that was me being the squeaky wheel. 
because nobody was just going to hand it to me. I had to go out and make my own opportunities um, doing the ninjas versus movies. Uh, you know, I wasn't getting cast in major features. So me and my buddy, Justin, we decided let's, let's do it ourselves. We had just finished watching clerks, uh, clerks two. And one of the lines was, you know, we should buy the quick stop. So we looked at each other and we're like, let's buy the quick stop. Let's do it together. So that was the squeaky wheel getting the grease. And so that was probably the best advice uh, I had ever been given. Uh, even if it was somewhat indirect, you know, of advice, it was it was a, a saying that just meant so much to me, given who it was and what I was doing. The worst advice. Um, I don't know that there's bad advice that I've been given, but I would say. Uh, and I don't remember who told me this, but it was, you know, conform, conform to you know, what, what, uh, what they want, conform to what, uh, Hollywood needs or conform to, uh, you know, the stereotypes that you think you're going to fit in. And really it's about breaking the mold. It's about doing something different than everybody else. So I don't, I don't think that was particularly good advice, uh, you know, to conform, uh, that doesn't get you anywhere. That doesn't elevate you. And so every piece of what I do is, uh, how do I stand out from the crowd? How do I think outside of the box? How do I be that squeaky wheel? You know, get just do it. Take that leap of faith. You know, exactly. What's the, what's the worst exactly. that can happen? <laughs> Honestly, you know, a lot of people just say YOLO all the time. You only live once. Uh, it, I agree with that completely. You only live once. So you might as well try. <laughs> and out of all the characters you've voiced, which one would you say was the toughest? Oh, Donald, absolutely. Donald Duck, 100%. And the reason being is because it's not a voice, it's a mechanism. So there's a pocket of air in my cheek that I use. <laughs> and the technical term is buckle speech, but uh, manipulating that air pocket and then being able to enunciate and say words, having breath control, uh, you know, mimicking the, the essence of the character that was established uh, by Clarence Ducky Nash all the way back in 1934. Um, you know, that is a lot of pressure and it required a lot of research. It required a lot of exercise and, and practice. And I've been, you know, fortunately doing that voice my entire life since my mom taught me how to do the voice when I was a kid. And so when that opportunity crossed my path, uh, I was just gobsmacked, you know, like, Really? I get an opportunity to read for this amazing character? And uh, here we are again, all these years later, I had the honor and privilege of voicing Donald uh, for Mickey and the Roads to Racers and Mix-Up Adventures and, and so many other things, too. <laughs> I can't imagine that, that, that being a voice that's easy on the throat after a while. Well, again, it doesn't involve my throat at all. So I, I always joked that if I... Um, if for some reason I lost the ability to speak, you know, because I don't need my vocal cords to, to make that sound. So it, it, there, there was one session, I think it was when we were recording Donald's Garage, which was one episode of Mickey and the Roadster Racers, where it was a very dialogue heavy uh, episode for Donald. And most of the time, Donald is not spouting monologues or saying lots and lots of things. You know, he'll say a thing here or there because he's mostly unintelligible. But my job was to make him as uh, uh, clear and understandable as possible. 
And so I had a lot of dialogue to get through. And there was a point where my tongue swelled up and my cheeks started bleeding. And my voice director, Kelly Ward, said, uh, Daniel, do, do you need a break? Do you need to stop? And I was like, no, no, I'm good. I'm tired. I'm tired. I'm going to keep going. And I just didn't know my limitations at the time. So we, we did have to stop the session and uh, pick up at another time. But, you know, I was so great behind the ears and easy to please and wanting to please that uh, I just didn't even take note of the fact that it was hurting. <laughs> And I had to ice, you know, my mouth and, and heal. Uh, but once I learned my limitations, it was very easy to navigate. And the team was was so uh, easy to work with and accommodating. If something was too difficult, we could pick up at another session. Or if we needed to do the tantrums, because Donald would have his, you know, <laughs> those would take a toll on my speaking voice. So we would wait to do the tantrums until the end, after I had done all the dialogue. That way it was as crisp. And as clean as it could possibly be, and then we would, you know, uh, do that. So it was a, it was an amazing process. And uh, yeah, look, it can be difficult on the quote unquote uh, voice, but you build up stamina, and it's just like working out. The more you do, the the better you get at it. And have you gotten the chance to meet any of your other fellow Disney cast members? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Bill Farmer, the voice of Goofy. Brett Iwin, the voice of Mickey Mouse. Uh, I had the great fortune of meeting Brucie Taylor, the voice of Minnie Mouse, before she unfortunately passed. Uh, Caitlin Robrock is the new voice of Minnie Mouse, and she's a dear friend of mine. Uh, Tress McNeil, Daisy, I've met. Corey Burton, uh, who is uh, uh, Dale from Chip and Dale. Tress McNeil does uh, Chip. Uh, Jim Cummings, the voice of Pete, Winnie the Pooh, Darkwing Duck. Frank Welker, who we talked about before. I, Rob Paulson, Carlos Ellis Rocky. I've met and I've worked with them all. And it's it's just anytime I get into the booth and I get to play with these legends uh, is it still blows me away. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I keep forgetting. Oh, yeah. Uh, Corey Burton is also Ludwig von Drake. I keep forgetting that. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Amongst many other things. I mean, what an, I, I again, I can't believe how I get to hang out and play with these absolute legends. And and were they, did they ask you to, when, when you did, when you do Donald, did they ask you to sound like the, um, to make it sound like the original voice actor who did it way back in the day? Yeah, yeah, good question. Um, yeah, so the audition, they requested that we sound like Clarence Nash. And Clarence's Donald did sound different than my version of excuse me, did, did sound different than my version of Donald. Um, you know, he was more like, <laughs> he sounded a little bit different. And when I booked the job, what they requested of me was because this was for a younger audience, a preschool audience, they wanted to be able to use Donald more uh, than they had before. And they recognized that I could say just about anything in the character voice so they were like, we want the character to enunciate as clearly as possible, and we want to pitch him slightly higher up if possible to be more, um, I don't know, I, I guess, uh, welcoming to a younger ear. So, you know, we go from Clarence Nash's, uh, you know, to... And so, you know, my version sounds a little bit different uh, to my ear 
but when I hear from fans that, the, that don't even recognize that, they just say, hey, it sounds like Donald Duck. I know that I did my job. And uh, that really is very satisfying for me because I put a lot of work into it. I, I poured over, you know, over 80 years of content with Donald Duck. And so uh, to have that pay off and to have the, the hardcore Disney fans really appreciate it just absolutely uh, made my day made my made my year made my life what can i say <laughs> now i can just can't stop picturing you like just watching all the old donald duck shorts <laughs> for like oh <laughs> yeah oh yeah my favorite was apple core apple core with chip and dale where he was where donald was an apple farmer and chip and dale are eating all his apples and uh, there was one thing that that, that he would say it was apple core who's your friend me and then he gets splatted in the face with an apple and as a kid i thought that was hilarious so that was that was always one of my favorite shorts and uh, one that i would very often go back to uh for reference you know when donald laughs he he laughs from the belly <laughs> whereas if he chuckles it's in the cheek <laughs> so i had to learn all those sounds just by going back and referencing and trying to put together uh, who this amazing character was for my version and my time. I don't remember which short it was. I think, was it the Jack and the Beanstalk one where he loses his mind and just <laughs> like goes crazy, throws like this really terrible chant tantrum. And I'm like, that cannot have been healthy for the, for the voice actor. <laughs> um, I, I don't remember distinctly right now, but uh, uh, yeah, that sounds par for the course. <laughs> Everyone loves Donald's tantrums, and, and I'm one of them, too. <laughs> like, a lot of these shorts are really, really weird when you look at them, because they, they weren't made for kids. They were made for adults, so a lot of the stuff you look, you look at now, it's like, oh, man, I can't believe that this is, that they showed this to kids. <laughs> well, look, different times, uh, you know, created different types of content, and I don't remember if if this was something I heard, but, you know, it wasn't the kids who had the money to go to the theaters. It was the adults who would bring their kids. So if I recall correctly, that was part of the decision making process as to what, you know, the shorts would entail. It had to speak to a particular audience, the people who brought the money. Um, but, uh, yeah, so kids kids wouldn't go to the theater. You know, they, they they'd had to have their parents you know, pay for the ticket, bring them in. I think it wasn't until years later when television came around and they realized, oh, these are only like seven minute long things. Let's just air them on TV, you know? Well, even TV made things so much more accessible uh, to not just, uh, you know, a specific group of people, but to an entire family. Um, you know, families would sit in front of the TV and watch content and thereby the content had to, you know, speak to the entire family in some ways. And as time has developed, uh, you know, now there's children's programming specifically for kids that is tailored to their needs and their wants. And, uh, you know, I, I think that's just part of the amazing transition of the entertainment industry as a whole over the past century. It has changed tremendously and will continue to change uh, as we see now with streaming services. It's a whole other ballgame. And is there any uh, other franchises you would like to be a part of? Oh, yes. I My current bucket list item is I would love to be part of the Looney Tunes franchise uh, in some way, shape, or form. 
I don't even care if it's an old character that they drag up from like 50 or 60 years ago, you know, anything. I would love to be a part of that franchise. Um, but basically for me, it's anything that I grew up with sitting in front of that TV watching Saturday morning cartoons. If I can be a part of that in some way, shape, or form, that is a huge bucket list item for me because it just, there's connective tissue there. I get to play and have fun with my inner child and recognize that he still exists inside of me, even as an adult with adult problems and everything else, that little kid is alive and well and having fun inside of me. So anything that gets to do that, that's that's my goal. But absolutely, Looney Tunes is like top of the mind. <laughs> oh, man. Mel First Blank. it was Tom and Jerry. I got to work on Tom and Jerry. Scooby-Doo. I got to voice Uncle Shagworthy. You know, like we're, we're knocking them out. Disney characters. I got to voice Donald Duck. Oh, man. What's going to be next? <laughs> Find an obscure Hanna-Barbera character to voice, I guess. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Just going through the list of like, okay, what was what was airing on television in the eighties? Okay, all these <laughs> franchises, all of them, all of them. <laughs> Absolutely, and look, if I ever get back to Transformers, uh, that would be great too. <laughs> uh, I God, I would imagine it's kind of weird seeing like, oh, you've only done that the game, but nothing, nothing else, and I'm kind of like. Mm. <laughs> no, you know what some people say oh it was only the game i don't care i got to play in that sandbox i got to voice one of my favorite characters of all time that to me is worth more than anything else so uh you know look in the future who knows what will happen uh there may be something that you hear my voice in i i, I don't know I just have to wait and find out. But uh, I certainly hope to get back to it at some point because I love Transformers. But, uh, you know, this is a job for me and on to the next. Um, before we get going, um, I, I remember listening to another interview you did where you talked about someone coming up to you at a convention and and, sent, and asking you to sign because they couldn't get um, Chris Lada's autograph because he wasn't around anymore. And that, oh man, that... <laughs> That must have been. Yeah, that was, oh man, uh, that, that got me right in the feels. Um, I was invited to, uh, it was, a, I think it was around the time Revenge of the Fallen was in theaters. I was invited to uh, Pennsylvania and it was a small town in Pennsylvania and I was there to, you know, sign some autographs. And when I got there, they had a marching band waiting for me that was in the news, the local newspaper, like they went all out. And I'm like, yo, I'm, I'm not a big celebrity. I just did a voice for a game and and they rolled out the red carpet for me. So I was at dinner with the person who invited me and he's bringing out stuff for me to sign. And I was happy to sign it. And then he brought out uh, the 1986 Transformer, the Transformers, the movie. Uh, vinyl album that had been signed by the entire cast and I looked at that like it was a holy grail and I'm I'm just admiring the heck out of it and then he hands me a pen and I looked at my eyes got really big and I went no 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 I, I can't do that and he said please I never had a chance to have Chris Lotta sign this and I really want to have Starscream on there and I initially refused. I was like, no, I, I'm not going to, you know, desecrate this grail of a, a beautiful item with with my John Hancock. That's that's absurd. 
But then I thought about it and I said, you know, um, in the spirit of Chris Lada and everything that he did and, and the, the joy that was in his eyes, recognizing that character, I said, I tell you what, I will write for Chris and then I'll autograph it. And he said, yes, absolutely. So I very reluctantly, uh, you know, signed it and I wrote for Chris on there. And it was it was a prolific moment for both me and for him because it just meant that uh, I was able to honor uh, that amazing voice actor who was a huge part of my childhood. And I was telling this story uh, right outside the Hollywood Improv. I was at one of Rob, pa Rob Paulson's talking tunes. And I'm having this conversation and telling the story in a semicircle of people. And this one uh, girl ahead of me was crying. And I was like, I I'm sorry, why, why, are, why are you crying? It was Chris Lotta's daughter, Abby, and uh, she and I are really good friends now and, and part of a, a voiceover troupe, but you just never know what's going to happen in this life and, and the people that you'll affect positively. And so that was just a magical moment for me where we both we both hugged it out and uh, we both cried it out. And uh, I'll never forget that. Before we wrap this up, uh, can you give us an update on what you're currently working on and where can people find you online? Yes, thank you. Um, well, currently, uh, you can hear my voice as a couple fun characters on Mickey Mouse Funhouse. I play Zoop Bloop and the uh, the Cyclops Fred. Um, uh, you can hear me in multiverses, obviously, as Uncle Shagworthy, Gizmo, and Strike. Um, I've been given the clear to announce that you'll hear me in the upcoming Killer Clowns from Outer Space video game. I can't tell you who I play, but I've been given the clear to announce that. Um, some cool stuff in Genshin Impact, and uh, a lot of stuff I just can't talk about. <laughs> but for anybody who wants to follow me online, give me a follow at Actor Daniel Ross. Actor Daniel Ross. You can find me across social media, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. And I do hope you'll follow me over on TikTok. We have a lot of fun over there. Yeah, man. Uh, one, one million followers. Holy crap. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, it, it's it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. I get to be silly to a lot of people. <laughs> all right. Thank you so much for taking the time off to do this. This has been a lot of fun. And we got to get you back when all that other stuff clears. <laughs> Absolutely. Anytime. Thanks for having me so much. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.